ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Allstate. Welcome into the latest edition of ESPN FC. Kay Murray, Ali Moreno and Stevie Nicol here in the studio. And we will start the show by talking about the 2024 Copa America draw, which took place in Miami. And we now know which pots, which teams are in. Group A, Argentina have Peru, Chile and Canada and Trinidad are Tobago. But it's Group C we're casting our eyes to to start things off with, where the United States have been drawn with Uruguay, Panama and Bolivia as well. We'll get into Group B and Group D in just a moment but let's start with Group C by welcoming in Hercules Gomez who is in Columbus uh, head of a big game that we'll be talking about a little later in the show as well let's start with this one and what you make of this draw for the US your former team Herc Hey guys, yeah, I think it's a good group for the U.S. If you could draw it on paper, you knew you were going to get a tough opponent uh, in that second pot. Uruguay is as tough as they come. Uh, but other than that, you look at the other teams, Bolivia, Panama, and, and more than anything, the way you will face them, the strength of schedule. You start out with Bolivia, and you can go to a Panama game, which no doubt will be difficult, but you would assume you should feel very confident about. And then all to play for for that first spot against Uruguay in the last uh, game of, of that group phase. So it's a favorable draw for the U.S. men national team absolutely uruguay is a formidable opponent you already saw what they did to brazil and argentina in argentina will no doubt be a very difficult opponent but if you could draw it any way where you knew you were going to play a powerhouse so to speak like uruguay who was a powerhouse in this competition winning it so many times that's the way you would have drawn it up so a fear would draw for the u.s men's national team a best case scenario stevie then for the u.s absolutely just get at the end of the day so we're getting through the group you got to go one step at a time the first step is get through the group and to Bolivia and Panama in your group, absolutely fantastic. So given the fact they are already a top seed, Ali, coming into mm. this one, they have avoided some of the other powerhouses who are top seeds as well, but you do look at that Uruguay game, Uruguay a team that you thought should have been a top seed in this Copa America. Uh, well, certainly ahead of the United States and ahead of Mexico as well. Uh, Uruguay, given their level of performance, which Hercules just alluded to, they should have been a part one and they should be head of the group. But regardless, we'll see it on the field. And this is the beauty of it all. I was critical of the fact that the United States and Mexico were ahead of Uruguay in terms of being in part one. Well, now Uruguay gets to play against the United States. Now, Hercules just mentioned that as well. That game may be inconsequential in that perhaps the group by then, it's already decided as to who's going through. It may just be down to whoever wins that game goes first or second in the group. That's, that's, if things go the way that both of these teams plan it out to be, by the time they get to the game against uh, Uruguay and the United States, it's probably all decided in that group anyways. How deep a run can the U.S. make her? How deep a run should they be making in this tournament? Well, so, so, uh, so uh, Ali, excuse me, just mentioned it there. You're talking about potentially all being decided. You're just playing for first and second place. A lot of things can change. Right now, I think the U.S. would 
take their chances against playing against this Brazil today. But let's say come summer, there's a different coach. It could be a Carlo Ancelotti. And with that player pool and the type of football they can play, you want to avoid Brazil at all costs. Even though Colombia is a formidable opponent, it all depends on who you get in that crossover. Uh, that could really be the kicker for the U.S. men's national team. Listen, we talk about the bar for 2026 and what that would be playing in U.S. home soil. And many of us have mentioned a semifinal appearance as the bar, as a dream scenario for the U.S. men's national crown World Cup time. Those are European opponents you're going to face. Well, this is South American, if you ever had a chance on home soil in a Copa America, and if we use the last Copa America in 2016, the Centenario, as a sort of measuring stick, a U.S. men's national team that back in 2016, I would say, is not as strong as this U.S. men's national team made it to a semifinal appearance because Argentina ended up bowing out. It was a 4-0 drumming, uh, but they made it to a semifinal appearance. That should be the bar, but it really all depends on who you get in that cross and if it's a Brazil team that wins that group and how that Brazil team is playing. Today, I would take Brazil. Tomorrow, that's a different story. Uh, it's going to depend on who they get in that cross. Yeah, speaking of Brazil, they are one of the favourites, obviously, alongside Argentina, the defending World Cup champions heading into this tournament. As for Brazil, it's not been the best version of this side that we've seen in recent years. Obviously, this is a group that they can get out of, they're favourites in this tournament, but you do ask yourself how much further they can go and if it is right, Ale, that they are right up there with Argentina. Uh, they're right up there with Argentina based on history, based on past success and, and past players and past generations of players. Not this group. This group for Brazil has had issues and it's just not one issue. It's a multitude of things going on on the field. It's a team that is struggling to create enough opportunities. It's a team that is struggling to score goals. It's, it's a team that is struggling to defend through the midfield that uh, right now have no balance in terms of what they do defensively through that midfield area. And because they cannot outplay teams and outscore teams, now they depend a lot on what they do defensively. And so guess what? They are missing some of the defensive responsibilities that TJ brought to this team when he was the coach. Fernando Diniz has come in as a coach and he said, you know what? We're going to play with two midfielders and we're going to attack with four. And four out-and-out strikers, two wingers and two guys down the middle. And, you know, we're not going to concern ourselves with defending through the midfield. Well, that'd be great if you had Rivaldo Ronaldinho Ronaldo playing up top. Well, that's not who's playing up top right now for Brazil. And so they don't command the respect nor the fear that they have from other teams. And that's why other teams have been able to go into Brazil and give them a game. And in the case of Argentina, beat Brazil. In the case of Uruguay, beat Brazil in Uruguay. In the case of Venezuela, tie against Brazil. And so these results are happening. It's not a coincidence. It is a byproduct of the fact that this team right now, as it pertains to the Brazil standard, is short on talent compared to what they have been in the past. And that's why we, we're getting these odds. The past tells us that Brazil should be in the final of this competition. The present of Brazil is completely different. You would have to say, though, that all of those things that you said there absolutely are going against Brazil. Mm -hmm. And the fact that we're pretty certain there's going to be a new manager mm -hmm. means that all of those things become null and void. You're going to get probably an Angelotti who's just going to take one look at it Get all the pieces of the puzzle, do it a little, a little bit different, and we'll see a completely different side. So I, I'm, I would put money on that the Brazil that we saw a couple of weeks ago is absolutely going to be nothing like the Brazil that we see in this competition. And, and that's a good thing about Brazil, that they, they have time. 
to get themselves right because Copa America is not next week. But my point is there are a lot of things that they have to address. It isn't just one thing. Okay, so it could change. Big difference mm. if Ancelotti is there. When we look at Argentina, though, Herc, are we looking at a last dance scenario from them here? Uh, last dance in terms of Messi in the Copa America? Absolutely. This is Argentina right now, and still the defending not only world champions, uh, you know, World Cup champions, but Copa America champions. This is a team that can be very pragmatic when they need to, and they have very special players uh, in transition, a very special player in Lionel Messi who's going to be playing at home. And when you look at the draw, when you look at the scheduling, when you look at the cities, it's almost cater-made for an Argentina final. It's cater-made for Lionel Messi to play at home in Miami in that final. Uh, I think this is theirs. I think this is, we're talking about Argentina that's going to feel very much at home. The Argentine Federation now has their headquarters in Miami. Their star player plays in Miami. They're very much going to be a home team anywhere they go. It's going to be a star attraction. It just seems like the stars are aligning uh, for this team to, to make a very deep run. And, and just going back to Brazil, I, I'm getting vibes from this Brazilian team of last Copa America in the States with, with Dunga and that pool of players and how they suffered and Dunga leaves, Tite comes in and then pretty much that same group of players does very special things under Tite and they lost in a calendar cycle, a World Cup cycle, four years, maybe two games. So a lot of things could change, as Stevie said, with the new coach. Argentina, obviously looking at this, we look at them in a different light now since what happened in the World Cup and everything that led up to it, don't we? Well, absolutely, and rightfully so. And, and I think Hercules makes the point that while we focus on Lionel Messi, this team gives you the flexi flexibility to do different things on the field because of the personality of the group, that there is a team that defends well, a team that through the midfield can take on a different personality. They can be a passing team, but if you need to get into a fight, this can be a fighting team as well. And then, of course, Lionel Messi gives this group something different. And to the point of Lionel Messi, and I'm going to extend this conversation onto Lionel Scaloni. Following their game against Brazil in the press conference, Lionel Scaloni, on his own, it wasn't a question, it wasn't brought up by anybody else, by a journalist or whatever. He brought it up that even though it was a time for celebration, it almost felt like for him it was a time for reflection, for introspection, almost thinking, I don't know if I can do this any longer with the Argentina national team. And I'm just kind of following the breadcrumbs and following the clues and putting things together. Angel Di Maria, he's already said he's out after Copa America. This is it. He's, this is his last competition with the national team. Lionel Scaloni is coming out and saying, I don't know if I have it in me to continue to push forward with this group and give the best version of myself. So what does Lionel Scaloni know about Lionel Messi that we don't? Right? And that's, that's where I go with this. Does Lionel Scaloni feel like this may just be Lionel Messi's last real significant tournament with the Argentina national team? And does that mean that he doesn't want to be part of the transition that comes, that it's going to be a complicated transition, a transition that comes post-Messi? How do you deal with that? How do you accommodate that? So if you follow enough hints and enough clues, you can't, you, it's, it's, it's not far-fetched to come to the conclusion that maybe, even though Messi hasn't addressed it himself directly, that maybe Copa America is his big last tournament. That's, that's bad news for everybody else. Because if there are three, four, and five of these guys, which there will be, people like Otamendi as well, can't go on forever. This seems like this is going to be all of their last tournament. That's, that's an even extra push for them to do well. So 
Watch out everybody else. Watch out everybody else. Venezuela, confident? Uh -huh. Confident of what? <laughs> oh, oh, see, see, we don't need that kind of attitude. <laughs> we don't need that kind of attitude. I'll tell you what. I think it's called realism. Okay, right. But I, I will say this about Venezuela, and I know we don't want to make this segment about Venezuela, but I will because I am from Venezuela. Here's the thing. If there was ever a time to play against Mexico, it's right now. It's right now. You, you, took, you talk about what we have seen from Mexico in years past and what they are now. This is a team that is vulnerable. Ecuador is a team that matches quite well with Venezuela. It's pretty even. Ecuador probably slightly better than Venezuela, but Ecuador is a team that can beat Mexico as well. So to your point, when you were talking about the United States, it's about getting out of the group. So if you're Venezuela, you don't have to beat everybody, but you just have to beat the teams that you are competitive with. And you're competitive, certainly, I think so, with Mexico right now. And I think you can get a result from there. And if you do so, now you find yourself in a situation where that game against Ecuador may just determine you going through or not. And guess what? All you have to do is finish second. You finish second, you're out of the group, and now we're dancing, baby. Is uh, Sebi a little bit worried, Huck? Is his uh, teeth chattering <laughs> in this group B? You know, oddly enough, Sebi thinks they got a favorable draw. I'm the one who thinks Mexico didn't get that much of a favorable draw. I I'm, I'm with Ali here. If you were ever any of these other teams and you see a Mexican national team who will certainly be the most followed national team in this competition will be a home team. If you ever wanted to play against a Mexican national team, it's today with this pool of players. It's today with Jimmy Lozano. It's today with the Ponza Federation has. And I think this is probably the most contested group. I don't know about the group of death. That's probably Brazil, Colombia, and Paraguay. And whoever comes in, Costa Rica, Honduras there, just because you got three comfortable teams. But certainly when you look at the rivals, I could see Mexico winning the group. And I could also see Mexico not winning a game. That's how highly contested I think this group is. I am worried for Mexico. Mexico does. Mexico has problems when they face very physical teams, teams that could run them into the ground, especially in that midfield. And I look at Ecuador, who was one of the top three youngest teams at the World Cup, and how dangerous they could be. That's a problem. I look at a Venezuela team right now that nobody in South America would want to play and say, yeah, I'll take them on. That could be a problem. I look at a team like Jamaica under Holgrimson, who has changed and has all these dual nationals now that are playing at a very high level. Look what Leon Bailey is in the form of his life, uh, one of the best wingers right now in the Premier League. That could be a problem. I think Mexico didn't get that favorable, that favorable of a draw. Well, as you can see, Herc is pretty cold right now in Columbus <laughs> ahead of MLS Cup coming up tomorrow. Uh -oh. It is Columbus Crew taking uh -oh. on LAFC Crew seeking a third title in their fourth MLS Cup appearance, the last one in 2020, LAFC. The defending champions, let's welcome in Nadim and Noor as well. But let me start with you, Herc, given that you're there and given that you're already freezing your backside off and Nadim's looking much cooler <laughs> in his very upmarket apartment backdrop there. Uh, Carlos Vela's <laughs> future, that's what I want to talk to you about. Uh, uh, Carlos Vela could be his final year with LAFC. What is the legacy he leaves if, if this is the case? You don't want to talk about the cooking show that Nadem looked like he's on? We could talk about <laughs> Carlos Vela if you want. Uh, listen, we, we talked about the last dance. This could very well be the last dance for a player like Carlos Vela who was who will be the before and after for LAFC, the first player they ever signed, uh, one of the best players to ever play in the city of Los Angeles, uh, one of the a historic player in Major League Soccer. He said it many times. Um, it's all about ironing out the details. He doesn't want to be nickel and dimed. He won't continue to play just to play. Uh, he's on more than $4 million a year right now, certainly since the 
historic 2019 season. His production has dipped. He's not the same player who scored 34 goals and gave 15 assists in that MVP season. Uh, it's a different player. It's a player in Carlos Vela who certainly means something to Los Angeles, but Ali and Nadim and Stevie could attest to LAFC has never had a problem with moving on from their figures, whether it's Bob Bradley, whether it's Walker Zimmerman, Defender of the Year, whoever the case may be, Diego Rossi, they will let those players walk on, move on. We could be seeing that same case with a Carlos Vela. This could be his last dance uh, as tomorrow LAFC, who isn't the favorite team, will face a, a Columbus team that is favored and playing at home. This could be very well the end of uh, Carlos Vela and his adventure in Major League Soccer. Your thoughts on this question, Carlos Vela, and the legacy that he leaves? When you have a player come in and, and the situation in which Carlos Vela did for LAFC, what you want is for that player to embrace Major League Soccer and really get himself knee deep and elbow deep and everything that is MLS. And I think Carlos Vela has done that and more. On the field, it's undeniable his impact on LAFC and his impact on Major League Soccer. The productivity has been there. He gave this team an identity and a, and a, a star right away. You, you look to Carlos Vela and you knew that even though you were certain that he was going to come back to his left foot, he still came back to his left foot and he still scored goals. So there's a certainty to the way that he played for LAFC and, and the way that he has produced for LAFC. What I would say about Carlos Vela, in particular about tomorrow's game, is that he may not be the most important player or the reason as to why LAFC win MLS Cup. It may just be that LAFC, and Nato is going to love this, it may just be that LAFC wins this match if indeed they go on to do it because defensively they have turned their season around. Because defensively they have found over the last month and a half consistency and they have found uh, a back line that works and in Maxime Kripok coming back from injury, a terrible injury in last year's MLS Cup, that he has been hot as well. If those guys play at a high level tomorrow, that back line and Maxime Kripok, then you're looking at LAFC, a team that has become much more about their defending than they're attacking. Well, let's get the thoughts of Chef Nadem then, shall we, uh, with Carlos Vela, because you actually came up <laughs> against him when you were playing in MLS. What was he like back then? Yeah, he was great. So I came in in the second half of the 2018 season and believe it or not, at RSL we actually won one playoff game and that was at LAFC <laughs> with Carlos Vela playing. They had Diego Rossi, Cristiano Ramirez and that was that was great to be there. The atmosphere was electric. Vela was the star, the talisman of the team and that was the game where Demi Krylak did the scissor kick. It was one of the goals of that season. But then to go into the next season in 2019, Himself and LAFC, they were incredible. I know they didn't necessarily win anything beyond Supporters' Shield that season or the years after, but they just felt so different to every other team in the league. Their sort of defensive organisation, the midfield was quality, the front line. Like I said, Diego Rossi on one wing, Carlos Vela on the other. They were great. And as Ali was saying, they really embraced, and Carlos Vela really embraced MLS. I think at the same time, there was someone who was in, in LA as well who was saying everything wrong with MLS. But Carlos Vela, he was the poster boy for it. He was the poster boy for LA. It's nice when things are going well in LA because it sort of brings a bit of energy to the league as well. Some of the goals he scored were great. I think the way they tried to play football, teams were trying to be like them. So it was great to have played in the league with him. Great to see the impact that he had. And I think as a player stepping into that league for the first time, you do need people to really embrace the journey and embrace what it is to be in that league. And he definitely did that. And obviously his production has dropped off over the last few years. But that 2019 season that he delivered there is probably going to be one of the best in MLS history. So it's a shame if he does wrap it up, but at 34, 
and the way football's going, I suppose it's one of those things that just ends up being inevitable. All right, let me go around the table. Let me start with you then, Nadem. What's your prediction? Uh, I'm going to go for Columbus because you've obviously got Diego Rossi playing for them. You've got Cristiano Ramirez, the fact they're at home as well. Ramirez, who used to be at LA. But one of my favorite players in MLS when I was there was Darlington Nagby. And I think if he's playing, he can get into the rhythm of the game and move the ball well. I think I'm going to have to go for them, especially with them being at home. Yeah, Columbus are favourites, and not just with Ali Moreno, a former player with them. <laughs> uh, can you go and far? Yeah, I, by the way, people keep asking about Ali, if he's going to be here. I said, I tell him I don't know. I, I, I told him, I, you know, Ali's going for LAFC, uh, even though he's wearing gold today. I think it's the gold of <laughs> LAFC. Uh, I will go for Columbus, though. Um, I can't trust L.A., and the reason I say this is, is this is an L.A. team that this year, Leagues Cup, Campeones Cup, CONCACAF Champions League, uh, is a team that has blown big moments. Um, and William Nancy's team, they, they beat the number two team in Orlando in the league. They beat the number one team in Cincinnati in the league. Uh, when they get punched in the mouth, they get back up. Uh, they know how to play these moments, and they'll be playing at home against an LAFC team that Ali's got a point. Uh, they're pragmatic, they're defensive, they found that stability in the back but they've not been down. They've not been out. They've not had to chase a game. And I think if you have to chase a game against a team like Columbus, they're going to do you in. I got 3-1 Columbus on this one. Why aren't you there, Ale? Well, that's a good question. See, I don't make the decisions around here, okay? I don't know if you know that. Uh, I'm just saying. Hey, uh, Eric, all you got to do is just throw my name around. It'll get you places. I'm just, I'm just saying. It'll get you places. I'm going to use it tonight, man. I'm going to use it tonight. It'll get you places. Uh, it'll get him a couple of shilly tips. Well, it'll get him something, yeah. That's what, uh, what do you think it's winning, Stevie? Columbus. Okay. Every single thing uh -huh. is going for Columbus, right. including the weather. <laughs> Let's go crew, baby. Crew for life. Crew for life. Uh, be, uh, there is a full preview on Football Americas. Make oh. sure to catch that over on ESPN Plus. Seven Hug, been doing the work, been putting the travelling in. Come on, crew. And putting the air miles in and even standing outside in the cold to bring oh, you all the latest tonight. Thanks so much, Huck. I see Sebi avoided that one. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't a search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work, use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash FC. Just go to Indeed.com slash FC right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on the podcast. Indeed.com slash FC, terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Passion, drive and patience, what brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights and more, whether you're into speed, power or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for and with eBay guaranteed fit your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back 
Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Okay, the midweek round in the Premier League gave us a lot to talk about, so we're going to have a bit of a game show today. Okay. As you can see, some of the headlines here. Ten Hag saying Rashford must earn a Manchester United spot. Arteta about Raya's form. Pochettino saying the Chelsea players are feeling the result. Guardiola, who's very sorry for Calvin Phillips' lack of game time. <laughs> and Jan Minson saying that Spurs were soft in their loss to West Ham. So we picked some names out of a hat to see who go first and drum roll. Uh -huh. Ali Moreno, you get first pick. What would you like? Well, you give me Arteta for 1,000, please. Okay, okay Arteta uh. for 1,000. Mikel Arteta says Raya's <laughs> form is really, really impressive since he's been at Arsenal. He said if you look at his form and what he has achieved since he's been with us, it's really, really <laughs> impressive. <Okay>. Delusional. <laughs> so let me just tell you that Mikel Arteta is easily impressed then. Uh, <laughs> Uh, it doesn't matter. It's amazing with coaches. It doesn't matter what level of coaching we're talking about here. When you make a decision and that decision receives some pushback, you spend the rest of your life justifying your decision and supporting your decision and making sure that people believe what you have to say about that decision. It's exactly what's happening here. He made the decision to play David Raya, right? There was, there was pushback, and there continues to be pushback on that. You know why there's pushback on that? Because he hasn't been really, really impressive. He hasn't been really, really good. There's been questions, and you cannot go, oh, man, if this guy, if this guy is that good, why come, how come he's making mistakes? If you make this sort of decision in the middle of the season to change your goalkeeper for a guy that had been good for you in Aaron Ramsdale, then the other guy has to be lights out. And he has not been lights out. Not far from it. And so, again, it's, it's a coach trying to convince us, because apparently we don't watch the games, he's trying to convince us and convince himself that indeed he has made the right decision. The truth of the matter is that he did not handle that very well, and that continues to be a problem for Arsenal and David Raya and Ramsdale and whoever else is involved. Do you agree, Nadem? Yeah, I think I would have to, to be honest. I think Arteta tries to be very positive overall with these players. He was very positive at the start of the season with Havertz when he was receiving a ton of criticism as well. But this Raya situation, like the highlights you've just put up, we've just seen him make two huge mistakes. So for somebody to say your form is really impressive, it's like, well, did that happen then? It's almost as if you're trying to gaslight into believing that everything's all right and everything's rosy. I think even Raya himself will know that his form's not been impressive because if this is his standard, then he's probably not good enough to beat Arsenal. And I'm sure he knows he can play better. So I think from Arteta, I don't know who he's trying to say that to, whether he's trying to convince himself, but really, nobody's buying that. If he had been really, really impressive... Mikel Arteta would not need to say that. Uh, Steve, you would have liked to have said more on this. He's upset that his name wasn't first out of the hat because okay. that's what you would have picked, right? Arteta on Raya? Oh, absolutely. Why, why, what <laughs> no have you got idea. to say about this? Well, we've been talking about some of the nonsense that this guy's been coming out with and he just keeps it going. <laughs> I mean, come on, Steve. Does he really believe that? I mean, I know, I know that you can't always tell the truth, <laughs> right? And we all get that. But... Just avoid the, an answer. You don't have to answer the question. But if you're going to answer it, don't, don't, don't treat us all as if we're stupid. 
That's basically what he's doing. Well, that's what Nadam's doing every week because he's done the old reverse jinx again when it comes to the predictions because he's got an Arsenal win this weekend <laughs> against Aston Villa. Talk us through that one then, Nadam. Oh, sorry. You guys didn't tell me your predictions first. If we were all doing the draw thing, I would have gone draw as well. <laughs> no, I think um, for, this, for this game itself, Villa have been magnificent. I think these 13 or 14 wins in a row at home, seeing the way they dominated Man City from start to finish the other day, but it's just something about Arsenal. I have a belief in them that as long as there's time on the clock, they will find a way. And I think they've got enough players available for them to be able to put outside that will contest. It might not be a case whereby they dominate Villa, but I think they've got enough ball winners and match winners on the field to be able to find a way to get it done. So I'm thinking that's the way it's going to go. But if it doesn't go that way, then what a statement from Aston Villa and what a week it would be. OK, let's stick with the father of three from Manchester, England, coming to us today. What do you pick from the headlines, Nadam? Well, listen, since everyone knows how much I love Man United, give me some Ten Hag, please. Let's have a look at this. <laughs> OK, this is Eric Ten Hag speaking about Marcus Rashford. Rashford is incredible, good player. And um, you can't do it with 11 players. And also, he can't play every game. And... Um, yeah, he's not in this moment in the shape, in the form where he was last year, but uh, I, I'm sure he will get there. The, the game against Chelsea, in terms of chances created and so on, arguably one of the best of the season. How difficult will it be for Marcus to get back into the side given the way he played? That is, so what I said about Scott McTominay, what I said about Harry Maguire, it's up to them. Eh? So finally, it will always, uh, the team will line themselves up. And the best players forms uh, who forms the best team, who constructs the best team, they will play. Uh, for a hundred more points, Nadam, what do you think about what he had to say here? <laughs> That's an interesting one. So for the first sort of two months of the season when Rashford wasn't playing well, he wasn't saying that he was out of form. But now he is out of form and he's going to have to fight his way back into the team. But how do you sort of like, in my mind, unless Stevie tells me otherwise... How do you win your place back in the team when you're out of it? When you're seeing that someone else is playing well in that position? I don't quite understand that angle, to be honest. Because if you were to pull Rashford out, then maybe you could have pulled him out maybe a month ago, six weeks ago. Maybe as well you could say he can't play every game, fine. But he also didn't play in Istanbul because he was suspended. So he's probably more rested than some of the other players within the team. So I don't quite understand that angle um, in terms of pulling, pulling him out now. Is this going to be a good thing for Rashford? I don't know, because he seems to me like one of those players where they're probably just better to be out on the field because maybe they'll find something. But on the sidelines, you can't find anything because you're helpless. If the team's doing really well and you're not and you're not there, how much control do you have? How much fight do you have? And I think for Ten Hag, in my opinion, I don't think it's simply just a case of training well because he knows who he wants to play and how he wants him to play. So I don't know when Rashford gets back in, especially if Garnacho is the guy on that left side, because as we've seen in recent weeks, Rashford isn't as effective on the right. Again, more nonsense from the manager. I mean, Nadam's right. You can't, how do you play your way back in? You can't. The only way you get back in is if the one or the two in front of you are poor. That's the only way you get back in. You can score every day in training and do your finishing drills and be brilliant. That doesn't get you back in the team. You've got, you're out of the team. And the only way you get back in is if somebody's suspended, injured, are just not very good. And that's what's got to happen for him to get back in the team. OK. Nothing else. So what, why do you think there's been the change, though, in what he said? 
that, like what Naden was saying, that he's... Well, because he had, he had no choice. He's been so bad, his attitude's been so bad, he's had no choice. And now he's trying to kind of... He's trying to go about it in a nice fashion. You know, just, just, just see how it is. It's time to give him a little break. Let him think about it. Try and, let's try and get his confidence back. And while we're doing that, then somebody else can have an opportunity. Uh, how does he get his confidence back then? <laughs> uh, doing a lot of quick runs on the sidelines. I mean, that, yeah. <laughs> this whole idea of, of finding confidence, you don't, you don't find it in the sidelines. In fact, if you know you haven't been playing well and, and now other players are getting picked ahead of you, I mean, look, if you're human, you know full well that confidence is not just going to come out of thin air. It's, it's not just going to be manufactured by you doing stretches on the sideline or, or, or training well. That, uh, all that stuff is, is fine and well, but in the end, you have to be on the field. And how do you get your confidence back? Well, you are on the field. You complete a pass. You complete another pass. You create a chance. You put a chance away. You run into a goal. And those things just kind of build upon each other. But in order to do that, Key, key factor. You know, just a small detail. You gotta be out on the field. You can't be sitting down, because sitting down you don't gain any confidence. In fact, you continue to lose it. And, you, and guess what happens with players when they get on the bench? It's easier to get comfortable with the bench than it is to regain the confidence that is necessary for you to be out there again. So how should the manager have managed this situation, given the player who it is as well, Stevie, the fact that it is a Manchester United through-and-through player like Marcus Rashford? Well, to be honest with you, I think I probably used the wrong word in confidence. It should have been attitude. And so, at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. And, and Ted, Ten Hag's done the right thing. And hopefully... Because unfortunately for him, he's not just got one problem in Rashford not performing. Okay, as great, as great as they supposedly were against Chelsea, it's one game and there's too many players searching for consistency and, and playing at a, a high level. So unfortunately for him, it's not just about Rashford. We do but it should send a message. Hopefully, if, if Rashford gets dropped, if the highest paid guy at the club gets dropped, then the rest may be the penny will drop and think that maybe it's me next. Uh, we do have to dock some points from you on today's game show for using the wrong word there. I don't have any points. attitude and <laughs> confidence. <laughs> well, you're in a minus now. Let's see if you can get it to a positive. I'm like Everton. <laughs> <laughs> the music's starting. Stevie Nicol, what are you going for in the headlines? Once again, we've got another manager talking nonsense. <laughs> Pep Guardiola, what is he doing? What is he doing to poor Calvin Phillips? Okay, that is Pep Guardiola talking nonsense about Calvin Phillips, and here it is. He doesn't deserve for one second while doing, don't give him minutes, I'm so sorry. So, but about that, it's him, uh, Jochen. Only I can say, oh, yeah, asking, asking a good behaviors and good personalities, a good character, thinking about the end, and this is a perfect example. And after that, I have to give you something. I didn't do that. So it's just because I visualize some things, I visualize the teams, I visualize things that um, struggle a little bit to see him. That's all. But it's not for, I'm not very pleased. And I feel so, so sorry for him. That, I would not say that because at the end, it's a business. I have to be professional. I, I act like a, with a good, when I win, winning is a good decision, so when I win is a bad decision. But when Nangai behaves, eh, I don't care. For the way he behaved with the maids and everyone, 
I care. So that's why I hopefully can turn around and I've said many times, I don't know if I'm going to generate. If he stays, I'm more than pleased because he trains really good and then he's a lovely, lovely guy, lovely character. It's a lovely guy and a lovely character, Stevie. <laughs> i tell you what, that is, that is not what you want to hear as a professional footballer. Can you imagine being in Calvin Phillips' shoes? Not just listening to that, but the other night when two centre-backs played in the middle of the park instead of, instead of him and instead of you. And then the manager, and they all sanctimonious tone. A lovely guy. What a nice fella. And I, I couldn't visualise. So roughly when we take, I couldn't visualise, basically he's saying he's not good enough. And Calvin Phillips is not 12 years old. Calvin Phillips knows he doesn't fancy him, and that's why he's not playing. So don't try and butter him up by saying he's a really nice guy and he comes in every week and he trains really hard and he's a super professional, well done. He's a grown man, a grown man. And he's, he's the guy sitting there talking about this is a business. So don't, don't be saying sorry and all that rubbish. And, and by the way, he shouldn't even be, again, don't answer the question. I decided my tactics and my team for the other night. You don't need to talk. The only person you should be talking to is Calvin Phillips. And what you should be saying is, Calvin, you know what? You're a good guy, and because of that, we're going to let you go in January. Get yourself a club. That's what you should do, because that's what he's basically done. But <laughs> he, he, he is a lovely guy and a great character. Well, oh, super. Yeah, but what I don't understand, first of all, what a rant that was. All sorts of nonsense from, from, from Guardiola there. But... Aside from that, when he's saying, you know, I I'm never going to tell him this because this is a business, but you are telling him this and not him, you're telling us. Us. We're finding out from you. The guy who should be finding out from you is ah, Calvin Phillips. Yes, for $2,000. Yes, <laughs> Calvin Phillips is a guy that you should be having this conversation with. This, this, this whole idea of, you know, I visualized a team and he just wasn't part of it. Yeah. Good Lord. What a beautiful way to tell you that. Yeah, it's not happening for you here, buddy. Uh, let's see if Man City TV can verbalize what's going on here. Yeah, okay. So he's obviously said that and he's like, I feel so sorry for him. Like, you can have control. If you want to play him, you can just play him. It's almost <laughs> as if there's something over his head that says he can't play him. Like, if you don't like him, fair enough. And I think we can see that when you see every other player in that City squad starting midfield ahead of him, then I think the writing's kind of on the wall. And, you know, his English over the years has improved a lot, but if I was a player oh, and I heard someone say they just don't visualise me <laughs> in the team. <laughs> they don't, they, no, 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 no. I said, if I was if I was Calvin Phillips and I heard someone say, I just don't visualise you in the team, it probably sounds worse. You know, just say <laughs> something else. Like, that sounds horrendous. Yeah. I just don't see you in the field for the way my team wants to play. It's deeply humbling. <laughs> But to give Calvin Phillips credit, as I say, he's been a good guy, apparently. And I think in some ways that's probably made it yeah. worse for Guardiola. Because if he was it's a neck, good. Because if, if he was a cookies and donuts in, in the morning for everybody. But instead, he's a... He, I, I, sorry, I was going to say, I've seen him. Um, he is try, it's so weird. Like, I almost look at him like he's a, young, a really young player now because I'm seeing him trying. I'm seeing him doing things in a warm-up, seeing him train. And it's like, well... This is the worst position to be in where all you're doing is training and taking up a space on the bench because there's nobody else there. But still, January's around the corner, so hopefully he can get something good and get his career started again. 
Oh, wow. It is football's equivalent of being friend-zoned, I think. Oh. You're not going to start again. You're just oh, oh, I'm sorry, what? Oh. Right. Excuse me, what? What? Okay. <laughs> Whatever happens to Ali Moreno. One what? thing I visualise is all of us guys <laughs> on Extra Time, on the latest edition. Make sure to go and check that out over on our YouTube Man. channel where the panel Friends will zone. be answering your questions. <laughs> <laughs> what? Reggie White, who's a defensive end for the Green Bay Packers, says that the firebombing of his church in Knoxville, Tennessee this week was the work of racists who may have been trying to hurt him. First there was one fire, then there was another, then there was another. It wasn't just Reggie's church that burnt down. Hundreds of churches burned in the 90s. I think we have a major problem in our country that we don't want to admit, and that has to do with racism. Was this 1996 or 1956? 30 for 30 podcast and Antsgate presents Through the Flames. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Capital One. We've got a big weekend coming up in La Liga. Barcelona taking on Girona on Sunday. Girona second, Barcelona third. This is how things are looking heading into the match. And there's a lot to discuss here, Ale, because you'll remember, obviously, Girona have been the standout, the surprise side of La Liga this season. And everybody said before they met Real Madrid, this is when it all is going to come crashing down. And yes, they lost to Real Madrid, Uh but it didn't come crashing down. Can we say again, this is when it all actually does end against Barcelona? Well, I think instead of focusing on Girona, I think the pressure is on Barcelona. The expectations are not on Girona. They are on Barcelona. And if indeed they're going to keep up with Real Madrid, they have to go through Girona. I don't think that that's something that Xavi would have had in his mind when you're budgeting the season and you're putting together a plan for the season. We're going to have to go through Girona in order to stay in contact with Real Madrid. So this becomes a must-win match for Barcelona if indeed they are what we consider them to be title contenders. They cannot draw points to Girona. Now, think, think of it. I mean, if Barcelona is the big brother, Girona is, is, is what to Barcelona? What's the equivalency? If I mean, Girona doesn't even come close to being on the radar of, Bar- of Barcelona when it comes to competitors over the years. They, they haven't been. They're an afterthought. It's, it was Espanol is a, is a small brother, and then Girona is like, well, that's a team out there somewhere 40 minutes from Barcelona. Uh, it's, it's a cute little town. Uh, they have a cute little club there. Well, that cute little club right now is tied for the league, the league lead with, with Real Madrid. And so it becomes a critical game for Barcelona from many different perspectives. One, the points, which is most important, keeping up with Real Madrid. But then what it means to Xavi and to Barcelona and those players and the club that Girona is beating you, that Girona is ahead of you this far into the season. I think this is a must-win game for Barcelona and it's a must-win game for many different reasons. It's a must-win game for Xavi. It's a must-win for these players. As for Girona, they are playing with house money, house money. Whatever they do against Barcelona, 
it's something that I think is going to add value to their season regardless. Yeah, just looking at that, Steve, you have to agree somewhat, don't you, that it's Barcelona who all the pressure's on, especially when it's a team that we would have never even have expected no. to be the of the season. Top of the table clash. Barcelona on the Girona. You'd be like, yeah, right. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm 100% with Ali. I think Girona, this is absolutely a free shot. They can go and just, and, and just play. Barcelona are under pressure to play. It's a different ball game. When you're under pressure, it's harder. When, you, when you're doing it for fun, it's way easier. So, yeah, I'm with Ali. Barcelona and your old Middlesbrough mate, Stuani. <laughs> <laughs> if only Middlesbrough had played him in the right position, eh? Yeah. Oh, Things yeah. would have been very different. Oh, Middlesbrough makes the show, apparently. Yeah. Well, Stevie brought them up, not me. This time it was someone else for once. Big game this weekend. Elsewhere in La Liga is Real Betis taking on Real Madrid. And Rodrigo has been on fire of late, just when Ancelotti needs him to be as well, Ali. Talk about pressure and stepping up. This man has actually done it. Can he keep it up, though? He's going to have to. He's going to need to. Uh, Rodrigo has been an interesting player this year. Struggles early on, lack of confidence, and he's actually been better without Vinicius on the field. Mm. Which it says a lot about what his role should be for this team and what it is when Vinicius is on the field. He sort of plays second fiddle to Vinicius. He's sort of the other guy. What he has taken on is the responsibility of being the guy. Yes, of course, we're going to talk about Bellingham, but what I'm, I'm, I'm talking about the guy in the front line. And Rodrigo has been very comfortable coming off the left-hand side, cutting to the inside, scoring goals. We have seen him do that time and time again. Bellingham continues to be an option inside the 18-yard box. Rodrigo scoring goals. Bellingham scoring goals. They need Jose Lu to add a couple of goals as well, just so that they can keep things together until Vini comes back. What happens when Vini comes back? I don't know about Rodrigo's game, because then he's going to have to change again, and he's going to have to sort of find different ways to impact the game but as it is right now Rodrigo then becomes the key for their success in the attacking half we know Bellingham but in order for Bellingham to have space Rodrigo has to be very active it is a massive weekend in the Bundesliga as well. A super weekend of action with some huge clashes across Saturday and Sunday. On Saturday, we do have Borussia Dortmund against Leipzig. Borussia Dortmund, who've just been knocked out of the cup by Stuttgart, a team that beat them in the Bundesliga just a month ago as well. Archie Rintut is joining us. He'll be pitch side for this game this weekend. Archie, I'm so interested to know what the feeling is on Borussia Dortmund right now back in Germany and how the fans actually view their side. Do they view their side as the team that we're seeing in the Bundesliga or the team that everybody else has seen in the Champions League? <laughs> there is no clear answer to that question. It is split amongst the Dortmund fans that I speak to, Kay. And for me, it's a little bit like whack-a-mole with Borussia Dortmund because for the haters and the defenders of that team right now, anytime they think, ah, I've got you nailed, up they pop with a different kind of performance that you just weren't expecting. They are the most difficult team to predict, I would say right now, probably in European football because they've brought out some big performances and huge results in the Champions League. And yet against teams in the Bundesliga, such as Stuttgart, who let's, let's not like do them harm here. Like Stuttgart have been amazing this season and even more incredible considering the budget that they've got. But they've played Borussia Dortmund off the park twice 
in a manner that is difficult to believe when you look at the quality of player that Borussia Dortmund boast in their squad. And I think that is a big problem for Edin Terzic is that, I, sure, they came close to the title last season, but the final day, I, can you afford to do that against Mainz? No. And that's still leaving a certain shadow over the team. But even more so when clubs with lesser resources than you in the form of Stuttgart and Leverkusen are playing better football with coaches who have had less time to work with their players overall. Sure, Dortmund don't have Jude Bellingham anymore. And as we've seen in La Liga, he's quite good. But you've just got to expect more from this Dortmund team right now. And this game against RB Leipzig is huge because if they lose it and they go four points behind Leipzig, and sure, we're not at the halfway point in the season yet, but that's not the kind of gap or the kind of mood that Edin Terzic needs right now. If you do watch our Bundesliga coverage on a weekend, you'll realise what Archie's wearing today is relatively tame mm. by his standards. <laughs> but this game, on the annoyance meter for you, Ali Moreno, Borussia Dortmund and Leipzig, I've sat in the studio and seen you get annoyed by both of these teams. Mm. How annoyed do you think you're going to get this week? <laughs> oh, well, that's, that's a good way to set up the match, I suppose. Um, and, I, and I get annoyed with both teams for similar reasons. They are, I think, carbon copies of each other in the sense that you're expecting more from both of them. And both of them just seem to come up short. In the case of Borussia Dortmund in particular, the, the upswing of this team in Champions League and then the downswing that we have seen in Bundesliga and then that continued in the Pokal against Stuttgart, while it is difficult to explain, at the same time it's very simple. When there is when there isn't the pressure of expectation on Borussia Dortmund, this group of players seems to come up with a performance. But whenever you begin to believe that, okay, here we go, this is the moment, all right, Borussia Dortmund, we believe in you, whenever there are expectations put on this team, they pick and choose when they show up. And that is a scary, scary place to be if you're a manager. And we have seen it from Edin Terzic, who's... Archie's best buddy, uh, Edin Terzic in the conversations with, with, with Archie, there's been times in which Archie has asked questions and he has no answers. And he's a well-spoken guy, thoughtful guy, but in the last match in November against Stuttgart, he was as low and defeated as I can remember Edin Terzic being. And I have to tell you, he cannot feel that much better after seeing the performance that they put in an elimination match against Stuttgart in the Pokal this past week. So. I don't know what to expect from Borussia Dortmund. I don't know what to expect from Leipzig. And so I suppose that, yes, they're both going to annoy me, but it should make for a good game. There you go. Yeah, uh, we'll see if it's a happy or a sad Edin Terzic with Archie this weekend, that game coming up, Borussia Dortmund against Leipzig. So we'll see you then across the weekend, Archie. Thank you so much for being with us. Death is the only punishment here. Now streaming, FX's Shogun. My master asks, what do you seek here? to vanquish our common enemies. Based on the global bestseller by James Clavell. War is coming. The epic saga of war, passion, and power. Let it come. FX's Shogun, now streaming on Hulu. 
There's a big game in the Serie A on Friday. Juventus taking on Napoli. Juventus provisionally have gone top of the table with the 1-0 win. The only goal of the game coming from Federico Gatti. There was a golden first-half chance as well from Kvaratskhelia. Could have been a bit of a different story. But this is how things are looking in the table right now ahead of Inter playing their game tomorrow. Another 1-0 for Juventus. Both of our guys sat through and watched this one <laughs> and uh, seemed very happy about it. Anything to say, guys, on this result? Um, Napoli. Napoli should have been two up at half-time. Mm. That's what I'll say. Two fantastic chances. An incredible stop from Chesney. Going to his right and somehow got his left arm out. Kept the ball out, as you said. Squarezvilia. Yeah, exactly like that. <laughs> That's exactly what I said. I just can't see it. <laughs> he's you got it. You were very close. He's calling Kvara. Kvara. Yeah. I mean, he's clean through. He's got Chesney to beat. And boy, does he miss this. High and wide. And then Juventus do what they do. You know, they plod on. They get a goal. Napoli can't score and they win 1-0. I mean, it's a win, but I don't think they deserve the win. I think a draw would probably have been a better result or a fairer result. You, you watch Juventus play right now and it's, it's like going back in time to mm. Serie A 1980s. And Il Catenaccio. That used to be sort of the... Allegri ball. Yeah, yeah the, the calling card, if you will, of Serie A or Italian football in general was well known for the, we're going to score a goal and then we'll defend the rest of the time. And that just seems to be the way that Juventus is going about their business. And I, I don't blame them for it. It seems like they have better players than that. But okay, that's the way that you're going to approach it. If you're Allegri, so be it. And then you're going to depend. If indeed you're going to play that way, then you, and you're going to be solid in the back and organized and you're going to tackle you're going to need the goalkeeper to come up with a save or two, and certainly Chechny did that today. As for Napoli, for as much possession as they had of the ball, and, and you mentioned Cavaraschelia, look, it, it, this guy drives me crazy sometimes because it's the touch, 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 cut to the inside, touch, 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 and then let, let me lay it off five yards away from the next guy. That allows a team like Juventus to get behind the ball and just move with you. So he's got to be a threat not only to the inside but the outside. And there were times in which when he caught to the outside, and he actually did it at speed, that he broke down Juventus. And, and, and that's how kind of Napoli was getting their half chances. But if everybody, and it's not just Cavaraschelia, it's a lot of players for Napoli taking one, two, three, four, five touches on the ball, it makes it a whole lot easier for a team that is as good defensively as Juventus seemed to be to continue to just follow the ball around, we cut out the danger, get out on transition, trying to find Chiesa, trying to find Blaovic, and, and let's just see if we can get on the front foot that way. Juventus, at times unwatchable, but effective and efficient. Did you see him showing off there, saying the name twice? Yeah. No. <laughs> Kevin Wait, Jules. He wouldn't know if I got it right or not. We'll be talking exactly. a lot more about this on the next edition of the Gavin Jules. So they always give a lot of love to Serie A. Make sure to catch that over on our YouTube channel or on your podcast feed. There is a little bit more of the show, though, still to come. Extra time on the way next, and Nadem is back with us. Welcome into the latest edition of Extra Time. Ali Moreno and Stevie Nicholl alongside myself, Kay Marie in the studio, and Nadem Anua mm -hmm. with a new backdrop. Another Salad one. bowl. Salad bowl, <laughs> Nadem. Yeah, Herx uh, described it in the main show as he looked like he's on a cooking show. Yeah, I, was, I, was, I, was, yeah, I saw a few yeah, was up yeah, behind yeah, him you, as well. Yeah, well, there's no food in the background. Yeah, you said he was selling sunset. Yeah, just listen, this will change on a day to day basis, so who knows yeah, what's Yeah, seriously, it's, hey, that's yeah. a good sized salad bowl right there. 
It's a nice uh -huh. salad bowl. Uh, yeah. Oh, no, no. There, were, there was one very silicone valet type as well, you know, with like the laptops in the background and all the, the, the glass windows for the offices, what, but he decided against that one. What, what is your dressing of choice for a salad, Stevie? <laughs> salad, what's up? <laughs> Question one. Salad, what are you on about? <laughs> I've been that a long time ago. <laughs> Just saying. If you have wow. to pick a salad though, what salad, you how dare you? I want to get some greens in your diet, Steve. That's yeah. A fruit yeah. salad? No? Not even? No. All right. <laughs> okay, I've got to pull up the questions anyway. Again. So I'll get them while you're thinking about salads and stuff. Oh, okay. All right. You, you need my speed. You need me to go get the questions? No, I've got them here. It's oh, all right. Okay. Yep. Um, all right. right. Techie Nadem sent them before he changed his backdrop. Okay, guys, <laughs> should Pep rush De Bruyne back into the starting 11? Perhaps he is the spark they need to get back to their dominant farm. Nadem, putting that to you. <laughs> Absolutely not. The guy is still doing his rehab. Like you don't. It, some people saying he rushed back at the start of this season, and then he had to have surgery that kept him out for four or five months. You can't rush him back. Like you've got to make sure that when he comes back this time, he's going to be back for a longer period of time. Given the fact, as I say, it's a hamstring injury which required surgery. You can't rush these things. I know the guy's probably pining for a through ball or like a De Bruyne banger from twenty yards out, but. This is health, this is medicine, this is what it's gonna be. And when he's ready, I'm sure he'll come back in and I'm sure he'll be very rusty to start with as well. Okay. A few defender questions coming in next. Yeah, the, the, the background though, it really doesn't match Nathan's personality. It just doesn't. There was like a Manchester cityscape, oh. Manchester by night. Oh, oh, uh, no. what do you mean? Just, this is cool, people, this is me. Well, see, here's the thing, most people's background, actually, it, you, you kind of go, is that real or not? Yeah. Like with most people. Right. But when we, as soon as we've seen Nadums, yeah. this is the second one I've seen in Nadums. Yeah. And straight away you're going, what? <laughs> <laughs> What's he doing? <laughs> what do you want? Uh, not that. I don't know. <laughs> He's got like a whale bone. Is that a whale bone in the background? What is that? It's, it's just weird, isn't it? Yes. Guys, guys, guys. This is free. This it's is free. Bone, so this is what it? free looks like. It's a, huh? it's a whale Once bone. Once I invested myself, it? it'll change. <laughs> It's free, don't got, worry about it, don't worry about it. We got an elephant on the top right. You, you, you seen the random elephant on the top right? Oh, goodness. <laughs> you making soup for that? Is that what that is? No. <laughs> uh, did, you, did you guys, oh, yeah, you were, did you see Nadem getting in the referee's face, putting on the gun show this week? Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I did not have the terrible, pleasure of Terrible display yeah, of... That was, that was a good picture. Okay. That he claims was AI. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he yeah was it's definitely could have been me. <laughs> <laughs> all right, for all, uh, what are your thoughts on the Trippier mistakes yesterday? What's going through a player's head when they do Ooh. something like that? <laughs> I, I think there's absolutely no doubt there's a bit of fatigue involved in it. You know, when you're tired, everything just takes that little bit longer to do and everything just feels that much harder to do. You know, and, and you'll always hear us talking about getting your feet in the right place. And so when you're tired, you kind of scrimp on that a bit and you don't quite put your feet in the right place. And when, and when you put all of these things together, the outcome is not what you're used to. And of course, once you've done the first one, then I don't care how experienced you are because Tripper is no rookie, it gets everybody. So it kind of unsettles you. 
So they even so then it doubles up. So you're still tired, you're still fatigued, you're still thinking about the mess up you've just made. So it just makes everything harder. And it's it, fatigue. And really. that first mess makes the second mess. The, yeah, the, yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. To, and to take it a step further, this is the same player that uh, a couple of weeks ago when the fans were being critical of Newcastle. He was addressing the fans and saying, are, you, are we not giving everything? Are the lads not giving everything? The whole thing, right? So you, you also have that in your mind, that you sort of stuck out for your, for your teammates, for your group, and, and, and you sort of been that, I, I, I suppose, the middleman between you and the fans, yeah. and you've taken on that responsibility, and then you do this. And so, all of this just kind of comes together and it comes together in a package that Trippier would not have liked, obviously Newcastle would not have liked and the fans would not have liked and it's a really unfortunate situation for a player of that caliber. Can you see it that way as well Nadem, tiredness creeping in, especially with all those injuries at Newcastle? Yeah. Yeah, for sure and I think even tiredness within the game itself, I think something happening later in the match Stuff like that happens all the time. And with that first one, it's that bit of indecision. He thought he was going to play a pass in a certain way. Then he tries to change his mind. But for me, I want to give credit to Dwight Manil, give credit to Everton, because so many teams could have maybe been more on the back foot, but they pounced on the mistake both times. And the moment they did, they were throwing bodies forward. It wasn't just one player taking the ball upfield. But yeah, Kieran Trippier making those mistakes. It's a great shame for him. But I think the way football works, as I'm sure the guys would agree, you just hope that when you make a mistake, it doesn't lead to a goal so we can all pretend it never happened. But when it happens once, you're definitely thinking about it. And then that will affect the second time as well. And it's going to be a game that you'll find very hard to uh, just forget about altogether. I, I, do, I do like in the background how it is an inside and outside space. See, you got the sliding doors, so you can go to the outside, spend some time on a beautiful day. Floor to ceiling windows. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it, it's good design, yeah. Nadum. It's good design. Let me just, Thank uh, you. I'm, I'm with you Thank there. You I much. see it. Thank you. Well, great creativity. Thank you. Thank great you. use of this space. This means a lot. This means a lot. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Just don't use it again. <laughs> oh, he's okay. putting it's okay. a different one every week. Uh, Stevie, with Harry Maguire being the player of the month, can we all wow. take time and credit him for putting his head down uh, and proving whoa, that he whoa, does hey, belong whoa, whoa. in this United voting for this, by the way? Who, who votes for these? <laughs> well, Shaq, I hit some credit card debt. Shaq, I hit credit card debt. I know he was... 40 player of the month, but who, who actually votes? Can you tell me? Because I don't know. Do you, do you usually have an issue with who player of the month is? Or is it just uh, because it's him this time? No, I just think, I just, I can't believe that anybody actually thinks that. And all of the Premier League, you're telling me that he was the best player for the month. Not a chance. Not a chance. So you're not going to give him any credit for um, putting his head down and proving that he does belong in the United no, States? Listen, it did. It, there's no question that Harry Maguire deserves a lot of credit for shutting everybody up, basically. There's no noise, there hasn't been any noise for the last month. And I guess people must feel sorry for him and give him the player of the month. Because there's no way. Come on, it's Harry Maguire's not there. How many goals did he score? I'm told it's a fans vote and a, football of, uh, a panel of football experts. Ah, right. No, no, <laughs> come on. <laughs> Who have you spoken to that no. thought that that was correct? Well, not Naden by the looks of it. <laughs> no, no, not Naden. No, not Ali. I'm, not I'm, you. I'm, not uh, me. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm with Stevie. He played well in the last month. He's definitely improved. He's one of the main starters for Man United right now. But like, just defenders getting it in general, you think, well, maybe he scored two or three goals or something. Don't think so. 
So it, it just shows in some ways United have got a massive fan base. And from when he's nominated, they thought, yeah, let's pile on. For as bad as everyone else has been, Harry's been good. So he must have been one of the best. But I was surprised when I saw it. And it's not really, respect with all due respect to Harry, because I do think he's a good player. It's not really a great advert for the Premier League that they're saying Harry Maguire was the best player in that last month. There's zero goals conceded in three starts for Harry Maguire in the month in question. Well, I mean, which is a better fit? The Player of the Month award for Harry Maguire or Nader Manua's backdrop today? Nader's backdrop's way better than what Harry was. All right. It sounds like it was Maguire, 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 Maguire. Your phone bill is going to be ridiculous this last month. Looking back on your playing days, did you enjoy or dread the Christmas fixtures? Oh, never bothered. Sounds like Naden was. Yeah. Well, because imagine the kind of party no. you could have at that house. <laughs> remember, we, like, uh, we, yeah. we all... Shoes off, though. Yeah, shoes yeah. off, absolutely. It's, it's, but what, what do you do when ins it's inside and outside? I don't know. So we all grow up I think... playing football over Christmas. So it's not any, it's no different. Yeah, but then you grow up, but then you've got families when you're older, and so you want to... You're glad to get away for a, for a rest. Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I can assure you, I don't know... You need him agreeing just without even saying yeah. anything. No, 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 I can't... I, listen, I love Stevie Nicol, but I can't, I can't co-sign that. I'm very happy with my family. But I think for me, checking the fixtures, there's always a weather whether you were home or away on Boxing Day. Because if you were away, it's sort of the question is, well, are you training on Christmas Day? Are you going to be traveling? Are you going to be in a hotel on Christmas night? So I think that would be the thing which you would think about. I think all the other fixtures around it, they're fair enough. But it's, I remember one of the worst ones I had, we were playing Sheffield United, I think it was on Boxing Day. And Stuart Pearce at the time, he had us come in to train at four o'clock in the afternoon. And then we trained and then went and traveled and spent the night in Sheffield. Nobody wanted to be working there. Nobody wanted to be there, but still there we were. And then it was made worse still because we played the game on Boxing Day and got battered as well. So I think sometimes those games do matter because uh, they matter in terms of where they are, in my opinion, anyway. Because here's the thing though, because probably the week leading up to Christmas, every single day, Ronnie would say, right, and by the way, Get yourself home and get sat on your backside and watch the telly. I don't want anybody walking around the town buying Christmas presents or looking in shop windies. We got a game at the weekend, so get home and sit on it. I mean, that, that, that was it. Every yeah, day. But if you're out shopping, you're going to get two foot tackles. <laughs> well, you're walking around, your, your legs. Just the same with the golf. We used, we'd never let him to know we were golfing. Because the way they look at it is you're walking four or five miles. You do enough in training. Don't be golfing. You don't, you don't be going golfing, son. We've got a game at the weekend. And it was the same at Christmas. Don't be walking around the shops. So, and then of course, you go home and your wife wants you to go walking down the shops. And then when you, you don't do that, then she's like, well, okay, you watch the kids. So then you're chasing the kids around. So you're like, what time we're going to the hotel? So we just go and lie down. So we can get ready for the game. It's called professionalism. It's called being a professional. We got loads of time to play with the kids and sort the kids out. 
That's your job. <laughs> All right. Uh, Ali, would you rather have your club's rival be terrible or competitive? We're looking at Liverpool and Everton, they're saying it's not interesting anymore, but Arsenal Tottenham is normally entertaining. Does your answer change between being a player versus being a fan or a pundit? Well, I, I, I assume that it's a lot more fun when the other team is better, but... You want to win, so it doesn't matter if the other team is terrible. You just do your job. You win five nothing, score a hat trick. I, I feel pretty good about that. So I, it's not a. It, it wouldn't be my team's responsibility. It would be the rival's responsibility to be able to keep up. And I, I would rather play against a bad team than a good team. I, I, don't, I mean, <laughs> you're there to win the match. That's <laughs> simple as that. Now, as a fan, and and I'm saying, not a fan of either team, just as a. Uh, uh, as a neutral, yeah, of course I would like for both teams to be good so that the games are actually competitive. But as a player, I don't care how terrible you are. You continue to be terrible, we'll continue to win games. That's fine with me. Let's just stick on the Liverpool-Everton part of it, because obviously it's very different now to how it was when you were mm. playing for Liverpool. What be terrible, but don't be relegated. Right. That's perfect. That's, that's, that's a nice way of saying Aye. Well, you still get the game, and derbies are always good to play and they're enjoyable because of the atmosphere. But you know you're going to win, and you get three points. Bob's your uncle. There you go. <laughs> uh, Naden, would you want Manchester United relegated? Uh, uh, no, not quite, to be honest. But I don't know if this is an unpopular opinion as such. But if you do support a team, like the two results every weekend, there's the result of your team and the result of the opposition. If you win and they lose, that feels like six points. I don't know if anyone else would agree with me on that. But Aye. that's, that's my energy. That's the energy of lots of other people. But yeah, the, the relegation thing, I, I'm, I'm not sure. But when the side's quite evenly matched, it's actually quite dangerous. So I don't love it when they do well. And it's a lot easier to see them struggling. And I'm sure um, whoever my rival may be, if they are struggling, I think I enjoy it a bit more than, say, other people would. Uh, Nadam, last question's for you. Is there anything you miss about living in the States? Anything I miss? Um... Yeah, do you know what? Some of my friends, I've got some really good friends over there now, so I think I miss them. But I like the fact that I can fly over for vacation, see them, and it kind of feels like home. So all those little home comforts, the place I lived and all that stuff, that's great. But for me, it's always about the people. So I'd say I miss some of those guys. Oh, a man of the what people. A nice guy. A man of the people. Oh, I knew it. He's lovely and he's got a great it. character. It's uh, like Calvin Phillips. See that picture? He's a big softie, really. He's got a home where he can entertain all of those friends, too. Oh, that's, that's yep. Just as long as they take the shoes off. All right. Thanks so much, guys. <laughs> uh, be sure to be back with us again tomorrow. Big weekend ahead in the world of football. And we'll be back to do it all over again.